dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Of all the sayings of Christ, his prohibition against judgment is one that has perplexed many for a long time. Judging is essential to leadership. It's essential to living. Then why would Christ forbid it? What does this mean for us today? Okay, everybody. Well, as you know, in the Bible, there are sayings that trouble us more than others. And this is a good thing. In fact, if you go back to the Bible, even when Christ spoke, he always found challenge. People who said, could he really mean this? In John chapter 6, when he spoke about his flesh being true food and his blood being true drink, they said, this saying is hard. Who in the world can accept it? Or when he told the, the crowd that the child is not dead, but only sleeping, and they mocked him and ridiculed him, and he put them all out of the room, right? Or when he said, which is easier to say, that your sins are forgiven or rise, pick up this mat and walk. And people took offense at him because he forgave sins. I mean, the Lord Jesus is not a neutral figure in history and neither therefore is he a neutral figure for our lives. There is a lot of people today, and I don't know when this began, somewhere perhaps in the 60s, I guess, but I think it has its roots further back than that. There's a lot of people that think that Jesus is some sort of nice figure that wanders around the world speaking niceties to people. <laughs> I mean, have you ever read the Bible? There's a lot of niceties in there, and there's a lot of wisdom in there. But that wisdom is challenging. Jesus' word and his teaching, they, 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 they confront us with an absolute truth that we need to try to digest and understand and wrestle and grapple with, but which we cannot leave on the side without allowing it to confront us. When the Lord was sent into this world, he was sent on a mission and his mission was to find us, to teach us the truth about his father and about himself and about ourselves. And that's exactly what he did. He did it through parables. He did it through direct discourse. He did it through miraculous signs. He did it in all the different aspects of his life as he walked through this world. But he did not fail to leave that message. And it's so amazing to me that Many people today, we, we, we walk around thinking that God doesn't have anything to say to us. We don't know where to find him. We don't know, right? I mean, like, guys, if you don't know where to find God, let me tell you, in the Bible, he's right there. I wonder what God has to say about my life. Read the Bible. It's a living word. It's living and effective, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates into the heart.
It allows us to breathe free again. One of the amazing things about our world today is that we, on the one hand, refuse to think that truth is possible, and on the other hand, affirm the impossibility of truth as being an absolute truth. <laughs> Does anyone else catch the absolute irony about this situation? It's like you're not allowed to make moral judgments on anybody or on anything. There is no, you, you know, who am I to judge? You remember when they, they asked a certain president, they said, hey, do you remember, is a, does human life begin in the womb? And the president responds, that's above my, my pay grade. Well, I'm not allowed to, you know, we're not going to say these type of things. Everyone should be able to decide for themselves. And then you say, well, well I don't, is it the same for environmental things? Could I, could I make decisions about animals and about plants and about trees and about the environment and about carbon? Is, but there you find it, it's amazing. There's a lot of morality that it comes out. And it should, because there is morality. But isn't it amazing that the, the moral judgments that we want to make about things that are a lot more immediate to our life, about the, the, the right or the wrong of this or that activity, people say we have to suspend moral judgment. But then when it comes to economic things, you know, or, or things concerning the environment, there's all kinds of moral judgments. I like to say there should be moral judgments all over the place, left and right, and about all, all kinds of things. Because whenever the human person acts and engages themselves, well, there's an obligation that we have to act well and to engage ourselves in truth. And that is where morality comes in. And if that's the case, well then, opening the word of God and understanding the teaching of Christ suddenly becomes a real challenge. Regardless of how you're going to end up believing or thinking, and everybody is very free to make up their mind and to choose to believe or to not believe and all of that. Freedom all being left intact. Suddenly, we can't just dismiss Christ with a practical relativism of saying, you know, no matter what he says, I'm sure he's right. <laughs> because the Lord comes into our life in the Bible and he's teaching us that in many cases, we're wrong. So it's one thing to say, you know what? I'm just sure that whatever he says is just wonderful. That's a way of keeping him in, a, in the closet of neutrality closed behind the doors, acting as if Jesus wasn't looking for our hearts. But if I am someone who's charged with leadership, and if I'm going into the workplace today as if God Almighty was sending me there, and if I look in after my kids and want to embrace them for who they are and lift them up into this world, if I want to start to influence the world around me powerfully to leave behind me a wake of goodness, of light, of peace, of justice, of compassion. Well, I can't stay neutral anymore. Neutrality is locks us into mediocrity because when you're neutral, you are conforming to someone else. You are following someone else. You're following the zeitgeist of the time and the opinions of the masses. And it's so amazing to me that we're willing to do this because we are Christians who have been lit aflame by Christ. He has set us like a lamp on a lampstand in order to shine. He looked at us and said, you are the salt of the earth, meaning you give everything flavor. 
And if the salt loses its taste, I mean, what can you salt, salt with? What can you give flavor to salt with? You can't. Saltiness is, it's like you guys are the root element and I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to get into your families. I'm counting on you to get into the sports teams. I'm counting on you to get into your culture around you and to light it up for me because that's why I died for you so that you could live for me. Your life is not neutral. Your life is not mediocre. Your life is not inconsequential. You are a gift from God to this world. It's that, you know, our Lord said, you know, I came down to this world. I came down to cast a fire. And how I wish it was already blazing. And he wants to cast a fire in your hearts as well. That's why we need his word. That's why we need to listen to what he says and let him challenge us. That's why we can't allow the, the teaching of Christ to just sit there as if everything he said was right and we therefore don't have time to read it. If everything that he said was right, then let's start reading it and form our lives with his and then be able to live and shine with all of the impact that he wants us to give to this world. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. All right, so we're reading here in today. It's in John chapter 5 in particular. Okay, I want us to focus in on. And so before we open up the word, let's go ahead and open with a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. This is verses 19 through 47. There's a big, long section here. And, you know, we always have to remember what's said about the Gospel of St. John. It's a, it's a swimming pool in which babies can play and elephants can drown. It's, in other words, there's so much depth to it, and yet it's given to us with great simplicity. John chapter 5, verses 19 to 47, this is a section in particular of God's Word where there's a lot of depth, which is why, alas, you hear very few homilies about it. And that's, you got to kind of like on the one hand, give, it's, it's hard to be a priest, okay, because you're only given seven minutes once a week. And you're giving an audience of all kinds of ages and all kinds of thought patterns. It's hard to really teach with depth when you only have that amount of time and in that venue. And unfortunately, that's the depth to which most people ever go. So while I've got you here, I'm going to actually teach you as much as I can here uh, in, in the time that's, that's there. And I want to focus us in on this particular section with the, the phrase that Christ says in verse 30. He says, 
I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right now, that, that verse all about judgment, it ties in with the rest of the verses that goes ahead of it, right? Where it's like verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father, okay? And he, he goes on, verse 27, and he has given the son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, right? What does all this talk about judgment in, in the life of Christ? And aren't we forbidden to judge? We know well the axiom that our Lord gave us. He said, judge not lest you be judged, right? And so people say, therefore, I shall not judge anybody, right? Or you think about Acts chapter, or John chapter 8, where the woman caught in adultery is in front of him, and Jesus says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. He says, neither do I condemn you, right? We have this idea that therefore Christ is enjoining on all of us that we should not judge one another. After all, why point out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye, right? First, he says, remove the splinter, the log from your own eye, and then you can see well to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. And we all smile at this because we understand it. It makes a lot of sense. In other words, like all of us are sinners and all of us have lost the way. And when we find Christ and come back to him and repent and live in accordance with his teachings, well, we have compassion and understanding to, for others. And there are times where we have to actually say, you know, I cannot know what's in that person's heart ever. Because I have to remind myself of that, lest I go around telling people what they're in their hearts, what their intention is, who they are, as if we knew, right? And so the temptation has spread. And for so many people today, we walk around incapable of making judgments. We don't want to judge, you know, uh, the performance of, of, of dancers. We don't want to judge the performance of music. We don't want to judge art as it is expressed around us. We don't want to judge actions of family members. We don't want to judge anything. We just feel like, it's almost like because we're Christians, for judgment is suspended and forbidden. And what we have to do instead is love everybody, accept everybody, and be compassionate towards everybody all the time. And, and what's amazing about this is it's really tricky because what I just said is true. We do need to always love people, always accept people, and always you know, be compassionate towards everybody all the time. And, and so the, the hard thing then is, well, if that's the case, well, is there any place for judgment? And if that's the case, why does Jesus say that he came to judge? And that he will execute judgment because he is the son of man. That the father, you know, look, listen to what he says in verse 37. And the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in me, in you, because you do not believe the one whom he has sent. It's amazing. I, I, is Jesus judging everyone? Does he have the right to judge everyone? It's a, it's a real quandary because as we go forward, is it, it's almost like a question. Do I judge or do I be nice? And is it possible to do both? Can I actually be a leader that accepts everyone on my staff, accepts everyone into my company, everyone on my team, and accepts them as they are, 
and at the same time, follow the Lord who says there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. How do I parent and lead my children effectively in my family? Because on the one hand, am I not imposing my beliefs on the, on the child? I mean, isn't everyone free to make up their own mind? And yet we want certain things to be done in the house and other things not to be done in the house. Is there a place for judgment where we can say no to this because we're saying yes to this? It's a real quandary for us. And I think that most modern day Americans are not necessarily answering the quandary well. On the one hand, you have some who, who simply suspend all judgment and say everything is fine because it's easier. And then on the other hand, you have people that walk around being so judgmental that they're insensitive and lack compassion and don't understand or empathize with the people around them and they can become really close-minded. What are we supposed to do? My friends, we're supposed to lead. How? By peering more deeply into John 5 and peering more deeply into the judgment that Christ comes to render so that we can understand how to do it rightly. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. All right, so when I read John chapter 5 then, and I look at it closely, I see a whole message here about the judgment that the Son will render on the earth. It's very interesting. If you look at verse 24, for example, he says, Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The very first point that we, we notice here is that Jesus does not eschew judgment. He does not say that there is no such thing as judgment or even that we should not judge. Because on, on, just as he says, judge not lest you not be judged, and he says we should be merciful to our brothers and forgive them 70 times 7, he never at the same time forbids us from calling a sin a sin. And in fact, he says in Matthew 19, 28, that the 12 apostles will be given thrones when the Son of Man enters into his glory so that they can judge the 12 tribes of Israel. To judge in the Bible is a function of the king. You judge at the same time as you rule because a leader has to be able to make critical judgments. Look at how St. Paul was, for example, in, in, in the New Testament. St. Paul, he has situations comes up in his community and he says, that one, this person here, I judge. He should not be treated this way. He should be put on the outside. This case is a sin. It is not the correct way to act. We, I forbid these following activities from your midst. I mean, you look at that, you say, gosh, St. Paul, you're being awful judgmental. Well, he is being judgmental because the good of the community has been entrusted in his hands. But what he's being judgmental of is the things that he can see. We can judge what we can see. We can judge what we can understand. But we always know that there is more to a situation than we can, we can see and understand. And that we leave in the hands of God. 
Because after all, only God knows the human heart. Now it says in the Gospel of St. John, it's really neat, there's a, a line where it says Jesus did not need to ask anyone about other people. He knew what was in the heart of a man. And again, you go to, to the book of the prophet Samuel and, and not as men see do I see, says God. Not as men judge does I, do I judge. I, there's a, an understanding here though that just as God alone knows and forbids from us, therefore, the right of pronouncing judgment on another person in a categorical or complete or final fashion, okay? That's for sure because we don't know the full story. I don't know why the person did this or what their motivation was. That's not for me to judge. But what I do see and I do understand I need to judge because the people behind me are counting on me to navigate the water correctly. And to, if, my, if I've been given a family by God, for example, well, it's, that family's been entrusted to me to make flourish. Imagine if you were trying to plant a garden and you walked around saying, well, I just don't know if it's a weed or if it's a flower what am I to say? Who am I to judge if this is a weed or a flower, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Your garden will be, end up being going full of weeds because they seem to be a lot more prolific than flowers, right? So you, you wouldn't do that if you're going to make a cake and you're like, I don't know how many eggs. Well, it's, I, I don't know what eggs are. Like, you know what eggs are and you know how many you put in a cake. And if you're a good chef, you're a good chef because you have excellent culinary judgment. You have the ability to penetrate, to cut, to understand the right measure. I was watching the other day Vladimir Horowitz play Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. It's an incredible performance. And, and when he's playing, it's amazing because he doesn't sway, he doesn't move, he doesn't look around. Vladimir just has his hands on that keyboard and he is the music. And it's such an incredible performance uh, that I mean, standing ovation at Carnegie Hall, everyone is on their feet because we're in the presence of a genius who knows just how to move that music so effectively that it stirs the heart. Said another person could play that, they might do a fine job too, but they would play it differently because they have a different judgment. Now, as people who are engaging in our world around us, lawyers, doctors, dentists, um, business leaders, founders, ministry organizers, priests, moms, dads, leaders of uh, uh, coaches of teams, you need to be able to, to use the gift that God gave you of your intellect to pronounce not categorical absolute judgments on people, not at all, not ever, but to be able to navigate the correct way of life so that those who are behind us can have a pathway to follow. It's one of the laments that Pope John Paul II made at the beginning of his encyclical Fetus et Ratio on faith and reason. He says, the, the, the fact that we do not teach our young people that there is certitude and that there is truth out there 
has left many of them to wander, as he says, to the very edge of the abyss, wondering if there's any real purpose in life. Because when you suspend negative judgments, you also suspend the power to make positive judgments. Just as we suspend the negative judgments that thou shalt not, and we say we not to do that, well, if you do that by the same token, you also neutralize the mind's ability to say thou shalt. Thou shalt love, thou shalt forgive, thou shalt respect women, thou shalt respect children, thou shalt, you know, all of the good things that are out there, the two go together. In the end, the, the ability to judge that we have in leadership stems from and is rooted in the power of our intellect. And the power of the intellect is a light that God gave us to use well and to put at the service of our actions it's like a light uh, that shines in front of a, of, a, of a car, your headlights, so to speak, on your car. That's the image for the usage of your mind. You know where to steer at night because your lights are shining and showing you what's ahead of you. Well, then let that light shine. And when you put on your brights, that's like putting on the Word of God that's really shining with all of clarity so you can see as clear a day what's in front of you. That way you can avoid the tree, avoid the pitfall, avoid the things that can bring you down, and you can stay on the road going straight. All of that, though, requires us to em embrace this aspect of our, of our life. We who are Christians are Christians because we have faith. Faith is a light for our world. It enables us to make judgments that are true and sound. Yes, against things that are bad, but also in favor of things that are good. And when Christ reveals here that the Father sent him in the world in order to pr pronounce judgment and to judge the world, we who are the members of his body have to do the same. It's not a question of condemning everybody or being divisive or not being compassionate and accepting at all. On the contrary, the real condition of genuine acceptance and true tolerance and absolute compassion and mercy is that the person be embraced in truth. Without a judgment, I cannot be truly compassionate. Without a judgment, I cannot be truly accepting and rejoicing in the goodness that the other person brings. When the Lord says he came into the world to judge, he's inviting us to do the same and to bring this world with him to a higher degree of perfection, a greater fulfillment, a better sense of peace. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.